Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Uh, thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Hi, I'm Bill. Um, each week on the Living Free Show, we highlight one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Um, our guests share their recovery experience and show us that shared experience save lives. Um, today, my guests are Max and Ben. They're members of Alcoholics Anonymous, and they'll be sharing how AA has helped them to recover from alcoholism. Um, welcome to 3CR Studio this afternoon, guys. Thanks. Nice to be here. So we usually start talking about what it's like you know, growing up, what family's like, things like that, to give people sort of a, a scene setter. Um, so, Max, what was life like for you growing up? Yeah, ostensibly, life was nice in that, I, you know, I come from a sort of pretty privileged middle-class family. Um, I think the thing that I struggled with most was that my parents are evangelical Christians. And as a result, they took us to church and Christian camps, and there were all these rules about how to behave um a kind of expected morality as it were which you know as a kid as a seven or eight year old it's hard to wrap your head around but as you as i started to get older it started to conflict with uh with what else i wanted to do with with smoking drinking drugs sex etc and uh quickly i struggled to reconcile the two and felt that I couldn't live as uh, the sort of Christian they wanted me to. And as a result, I just rejected it completely um, and started drinking, drugging, etc. Um, but the consequence of that was that I started to feel quite rejected from the rest of my family who were still sticking to the original thing. Original plan. Original yeah. plan, <laughs> right. yeah, no pun intended. Right. <laughs> okay, so um, you obviously had brothers and sisters. Yep. Uh, I have a twin brother, yep. uh, older sister, and a younger sister. And I think, you know, to an extent, everyone has sort of broken out of this sphere now, but mm. it's always toughest on the first one to do it. Yep. Um, and I was the first one to to really sort of break out of it. Um, as a result, I got uh, – well, I, it felt anyway that I got most of the family shame and disapproval and so on. Okay. So what's it like growing up with a twin then when you're feeling a bit separate? It's interesting. In, in my experience of twins, they're either very close or they don't like each other at all. Yeah. Um, you're the second kind. Um, no, <laughs> now, now we're fine. But, yeah. you know, back then, you know, you're struggling for space, you're struggling for time. You have uh, you have someone competing against you for everything. As a result, for me, anyway, I wanted to distinguish myself um, and wanted to, wanted to be on top. And that's the magic I always found with uh, drinking, drugging, smoking, is that no matter how socially awkward I was or felt or insecure – if I was drinking, suddenly that was all taken away. And if my twin wasn't going to drink as much as I was, suddenly I was a level above, yeah. you know? And, you know, maybe now as a 27-year-old, uh, that's not a big deal. But as a 13-year-old, yeah. that was huge. Yeah, okay. Um, so how different were you to your siblings? Um, 
not. I mean, I was definitely um, definitely enjoyed going out more and perhaps uh, more excitable, um, but ostensibly not that different outwardly. And that, I mean, that's the thing with alcoholism and mental health in general is that you look at you know you look at four siblings of which you know I'm one of four um and they might all look the same you really have no idea what's going on in their heads and you can only determine often how they're thinking by the by their actions of what they do you know i didn't have any language to talk about my emotions at that point no and um, <clears throat> that's pretty common yeah yeah exactly you know and i was i was just about to go off the rails you know um and my my family didn't really know what to, what to do about it. Okay, thanks. Uh, over to you, Ben. Um, so, growing up, what was family life like for you? Uh, I don't have any brothers or sisters, so I grew up a single child. Um, from the get-go, I felt like I got a lot of love from mum and dad, but uh, I could see they didn't really have a lot of love towards each other. Uh, I sort of discovered that I was a bit of an accident and they were separated after finding out mum was pregnant so I kind of fluctuated from yeah, I guess feeling like a bit of an accident or a freak to also having a, a uh, inflated ego or high sense of self-esteem low self-esteem but high um uh how, how yeah, I'm not sure it? how you say that yeah, yeah but I, I just I, I guess ego <laughs> yeah I from an early age and um then they sort of disappeared through their own respective jobs and staying back late and also their respective addictions. So I sort of felt a bit abandoned all of a sudden and, and sort of relied on them to to uh, get that sense of self. Uh, yeah. Without them, I didn't really um, know my place in the world or, uh, yeah, I didn't know my worth and just grew up with a lot of uh, uncomfortability, basically. Okay. So what were they drinking or drugging? Uh, Mum... Mainly marijuana, yeah, and dad, uh, anything and everything, um, alcohol, marijuana, drugs, painkillers. Okay, so what was life like at school then? Was there, were you more comfortable at school? Uh, I felt a little bit, yeah, less anxious at school. I felt uh, connected being around friends, um, felt a lot of pressure at the same time, looked forward to football and. I uh, didn't really engage myself in the schoolwork, so to speak, even though I displayed a bit of academic ability. Um, I wasn't really applying myself at home when it came to homework, studying, yeah. things like that. So were you lazy or just disinterested? Uh, a bit of both. Um, also was going through a lot of anxiety, which I wasn't able to be aware, I wasn't aware of at the time. So I found it very difficult to absorb information that I read. Uh, I found it difficult to sleep, had insomnia from a very early age um, and, yeah, just found it difficult to concentrate, basically. Yeah, must have been hard, yeah. Um, so how did you, you know, get through school then if you were that disinterested? I I was uh, fortunate enough to be have the basic smarts to... To bullshit my way, oh, sorry to, yeah. um, to 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 you know get through. Sorry, apologies. Uh, yeah, I could I could do enough to get the the marks to pass, um, but I couldn't excel throughout high school. Uh, my grades started to decline, and um, when I was about to fail, most of them I would switch them. I'd change 
all of my subjects to easier subjects because I thought if I failed, then I wouldn't keep getting the love that I did from my parents and um, they, they really didn't have any idea of what was going on and, um, yeah, I didn't turn up to school for most of the year in year 12 and left home uh, from an early age a couple of times and uh, still managed to get my VCE but didn't Just, apply myself to yeah. anywhere near what my potential might have been. Okay. Um, so when did you first start drinking? And what caused you to start drinking? Uh, the very first drink I had was just a dare from some friends from primary school. Um, I, was, I think I was 14, didn't do anything because I didn't feel the effect from it. Um, but then, yeah, I think it might have been the end of year 10, some parties started uh, occurring at school where alcohol was involved and that feeling of, uh, I guess, wanting to be part of um, took over and then alcohol took over the feeling or the effect. Um, I was quite broken and shy and full of fear and insecurities before I picked up the drink and then I noticed that the effect that alcohol produced for me um, took away all of those fears, uh, made me feel connected, made me feel part of, made me feel confident and I I loved it. Like, yeah, from the get-go I was that sort of Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde that's explained in the book. I was pretty yeah. much... Like yeah. that from the get-go. Okay. So did you just start blacking out from the start or not? Uh, apparently I had my first blackout New Year's Eve when I was 15. I don't remember my <laughs> my, um, my cousins, you know, told me recently because I, I, I just remember waking up in a, or lying in a gutter and, and someone saying, is he dead? And I, I, apparently my cousins found me in a car trying to start a car, which I have no recollection of. So I, I didn't think that I had a blackout then until I guess she pointed that out recently because mm. um, I remember I had a mate in my early 20s that did blackout and I couldn't understand that. Even though I disgraced myself a lot, I didn't blackout until regularly until I was in my later 20s. Yeah, yeah, it's funny because I, I didn't really have a concept of blackout myself. My, my dad's an alcoholic and I could never reconcile his behaviour the next day with what he'd done the night before and just talking to alcoholics on this show I realised that he probably blacked, blacked out every night because otherwise I just couldn't see how he could live with himself having yeah. done what he did and said what he said and the next day just to act as if he hadn't done anything yeah. it's just, it was just amazing to me Yeah. So well, that, I think that, there's a great sense of shame that comes with alcoholism as well for you do things that you don't realise why you're doing them or why you um why you could possibly have done them. Um, but you also... It's not so much for me anyway that I was unwilling. It was just that I was unable to to stop drinking. And so this shame continues and it gets worse and worse. And as a result, you drink over it to yeah, cover it. to get over it. You yeah. know? And yeah. so it becomes a chicken and egg thing, you know, where <laughs> yeah. you just keep doing it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, well, back to you then, Max. So when did you start drinking and why? Uh, I started drinking at 13. Um Probably more than anything else, because my brother was quite a moderate guy, um, and I felt like he was getting more popular than I was, and so I wanted to distinguish myself from him in some way. <laughs> I'm not joking. Um, and, and and it's true, you know, and we were talking about this before the show, actually, that, um, yeah, you know, I, I found, you know, drinking, it, it, it elevated me. It allowed me to become sort of uh, more popular, funner, more interesting than I ever had been before. Um, and very quickly, I was the guy to go out with, you know. I grew up in London. We were going, <laughs> going clubbing when we were 14, 15, you know. Mm. We were smoking crack. We were smoking weed laced with crack when we were 15, you know. 
Um, and I and and I thought for about a year and a half I had everything, you know, because I I, I had my health. I was still getting good exam results because that was the only way to please my parents that I knew. Um, I was drinking. I was popular, and I, I you know I thought I was king of the world. Um, and then um, when I was sixteen, after partying, drinking, drugging a lot, I got really ill um, and lost the ability to walk full time. Um, literally almost, you know, within a week or something, I couldn't make it down to the shops. I was so, I just collapsed on the ground. Um, and for the next, uh, I didn't fully recover for five years, but that really uh, streamlined and highlighted the next four years of my drinking until I got sober at 20. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, well, I had to leave school first of all because I just wasn't well enough to go in. Um, and I thought, okay, I'm put everything in getting better from this mystery illness. It took them a long time to work out what it was. Um, and I'd done some shady things, so they kept testing for shady things as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, but I found that I, you know, I was told, I was told that you can't drink, you know, it's going to make you worse. And I found I just couldn't stop drinking. I didn't get it. You know, um, and I thought, you know, I'm just 16, whatever, like everyone drinks. Um, but quickly I realized I had to factor it into my recovery as well. And so sadly, you know, after about a month or two, I realized that my recovery wasn't really going to be about recovering from this illness. It was going to be about recovering enough so I could make it to the pub to continue drinking. Yeah. You know? And I thought that was normal somehow thought that was recovery yeah I, I don't know you know i mean i was 16 it's really sad looking back on it i didn't know any better um and so for the next four years i just watched life pass me by as i got kicked out of home and was you know stealing money and you know just just like wound up in a life that i that i didn't want just obsessed and revolving around alcohol and because it was such a physical ordeal for me to drink um, I mean, my body was incredibly weak. I struggled to keep down food. I would get rashes. I had bladder problems, et cetera, et cetera. I would spend days just planning it, you know, sitting completely still for hours at a time, slowly building my body up, covering myself in cream, um, sitting in a darkened room, maybe with an eye patch on, you know, also I had enough energy to go out for 12 hours and get as drunk as I possibly could. And then come back and pass out again. Yeah, you know, which is insane now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but back then, yeah, um, that was life. I was, yeah, that was life. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, so back back to you then, Ben. Um, so started drinking in parties around fifteen and stuff like that. Um, so did that cause any problems at home? Uh, not really. My my parents, my dad was on the other side of the country, and mum, uh, I, yeah, was going through her own horrific sort of depression after the split up, and was often locking herself in a bedroom and, and medicating with uh, marijuana. And um, yeah, it didn't my drinking at at um, parties didn't affect or didn't seem to affect them because I came. It felt like I came from a pretty broken home, but I guess. Um, yeah, I smashed my best friend's car when I was um, 18 and unlicensed and was very lucky to not have the police involved. Um, and I was close to a lot of my friend's parents and I guess they saw that there were some concerns from an early age that 
at the age of 19, all of my friends were, were when everyone was binge drinking, um, when it came to the weekend, they'd you know, just politely say, Benny, maybe you shouldn't drink tonight. Yeah. Um, and no one mentioned the word alcoholic because I didn't drink every day and I still was very, you know, ambitious and, and um, had goals and, you know, have, had football or, or um, work after high school that I thought, you know, would keep me um, on the path that I was heading towards. Um, but every time I, I picked up again, I'd make up for the days or weeks <laughs> days or, lost, or yeah. months, yeah, that, yeah. I, that I hadn't drunk and, um, yeah. So did you have issues dealing with people so like living in houses with people was that an, an issue for you when you were drinking um well towards the end definitely uh because it it progressed um i lived alone for a bit in my early 20s um i found that drugs allowed me to drink um without ending up um, embarrassing myself as much as I did with alcohol. I went and travelled overseas for a bit um, and got in trouble with the police in England, in Japan, in um, South America, all, all parts of the world um, through alcohol-related incidents and was very lucky to not get locked up or deported. Um, but when I came back, when I decided I wasn't going to continue taking drugs, I guess I was still drinking the same amount that I did and had progressed, and that's when a lot of the blackouts occurred and when I was living in, in, in um, a home with my friend's parents who were sort of trying to give me a second chance to, you know, go through. I did a change of job career to start doing a, a chefing apprenticeship. They um, provided a safe roof over my head and support and stability, mm. and uh, it was then that they saw how I lived and they realised there was a very big problem and they um, pleaded with me to go to Alcoholics Anonymous from from that point onwards, yep. which I did, um, but then I realised that I, I didn't want to give up the drinking, <laughs> so I just um, you know decided after a couple of meetings to move out and, and I thought moving into a shared house arrangement where there were some children and animals around I thought that would um, force me to grow up and and moderate yeah yeah not yeah moderate exactly and yeah. it actually got worse I found myself um, asking complete strangers for, for <clears throat> heroin heroin when I was drinking and instead getting ice and and allowing people to to um, inject that intravenously into me and in in one instance I got asked to leave the house that I was living in which I couldn't believe at the time because I thought that I was, you know... Model. Yeah, Model <laughs> a really safe person to be around. Um, and in hindsight, I realise now, you know, how insane that uh, is and the denial that um, plagued me at the time and still can easily do if I'm, if I'm not staying plugged into the program. But, um, yeah, I wasn't able to continue living with people while I was spiralling out of control. Okay, thanks. Uh, well, so we might take a quick break. Uh, I've got a song. Um, this one's called Alone But Not Lonely by Marianne Redmond from 2000. I haven't a reason, a clue or a sign. I haven't the slightest idea of the shape of your heart or the state of your mind. Do you ever let anyone near? Do you ever reach out with arms open wide? Do you ever? 
Ah, you're listening to Living Free uh, on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, we've got about 90 episodes of the show available as podcasts on our website, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. So you can check them out there. If you want to send us a message, you can contact us via 3CR on 9419 8377. Email us on 3 free at gmail.com. And we're also on Twitter as 3CRLivingFree. I'm talking with Ben and Max, and we're talking about recovering from alcoholism with the helps of, help of Al- Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, Max, when we left, you were just getting sober. So I think you said you got sober around 20. So what was the initiative that sort of got you to the point of thinking about stopping drinking? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think, uh, not to, I don't want to jump ahead. I was, I was, so I was 16 discovered this problem without fully consciously realizing it um and i think it's important to sort of briefly document what happened over the next few years because i was essentially convinced that no one knew uh more about my life than i did right and that i was going to be in charge of my recovery um if only people would stop interfering i would get better and so for the next four years really was sort of an expression of self-will about me trying to get better and it just slowly getting worse and worse and worse. I, you know, obviously I'm an alcoholic, but I also started to look for other ways to get better, right? So I started, I got myself with a bunch of medical diagnoses. I got addicted to Valium for a little bit. Um, I started doing alternative therapies, things like that. Really, really anything I could find to improve my quality of life. And nothing really seemed to work. I kept sort of cratering downwards. Eventually, by by the time I was 19, no one really knew knew what to do with me. My parents would go into a prayer group every week to pray for me. My brother, who I I spoke to when I was 20, and I I was was said, uh, look, you know, if I don't try and quit drinking now, I'll probably be dead in in five years. And he said, look, yeah, I I agree with you. You know, because I didn't have... I'd missed years of basic life skills. And I think this is what happens sometimes when alcoholics start drinking heavily at a young age. Because for me, anyway, I was drinking on my emotions, right? And so when faced with a problem, instead of dealing with it, I was drinking. As a result, I wasn't really growing up. And so I got to the age of 20 as something of a sort of man baby, as it were, who had been I'd been sent to rehab by my parents really just out of desperation they didn't know what else to do with me and I'd left it uh, I got sent to another rehab so why did you leave that one I didn't think I was an alcoholic you know <laughs> yeah. um, the thing is right if you walk around if you walk into any AA meeting and there's no sugarcoating it it's a weird place you know like you've, you've essentially just got like a bunch of sort of rejects from society um, who are now trying to get well. And it takes a while to buy into that. And as someone who wasn't trying to get well, I didn't buy into it. No. Um, so instead, I it was in Arizona. And so I just hopped a lift back to Arizona, back to Phoenix, and went out and partied in Phoenix. 
Um, but then I, you know, there is something special about being in a rehab, being in a meeting. And so I enrolled in a second rehab and that was good. I stayed for two months, but I, I didn't want to quit. I still didn't think I was an alcoholic. I mean, 20 is an absurd age to be diagnosed as an alcoholic. Yep. You know, I thought anyway, um, there's a strong, and I, I hear this the whole time, you know, there's, there's this notion, this stereotype that an alcoholic is an old guy, no reason why it should be a guy, but an old guy who's homeless on a park bench. And really, if you buy into the concept that addiction is a disease, as I do, then the idea of having a stereotype for who that disease affects is absurd because you don't have a stereotype for who has diabetes, you know, um, or, or any other, you know, or gout or whatever it is. You know, it can affect, it can affect anyone. Um, and for me, it took a long time to realize that, that I was as much as an alcoholic as the 70-year-old who'd been resuscitated five times. Um, but once I did, and this was in the third rehab I went to, um, once I did realize that, then I was on the road to recovery. Okay. So how did you... Why did you think it was a good idea to consider getting well? Right. Sorry, I know you've asked this question yeah. a couple of times. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah. Um, essentially, and I think most alcoholics would tell you the same thing, it wasn't so much a consideration as a desperation. Right. Right? Um, I I didn't look at all my options and think, hmm, this one seems like the most promising. I had no other options and I didn't even think about the concept of getting well. I just thought about the concept of not feeling shit, right? And the only place that I knew to go to was back to this old rehab, right? Um, and I didn't even think I was going there for alcoholism, you know. I thought I was going there for depression. Um, and then quite quickly it became apparent that I was, in fact, an alcoholic. Um, but, you know, they say in recovery, when, when we come in we just want to be better, and have no conception of how much better life can get, you know. Like, I didn't regain the ability to walk full-time, unaided by anything else, until my first year sober, you know. So you can imagine what this was like coming coming into the program, not just with an alcohol addiction, but physically uh, weak and unable to support myself, you know. I, I didn't have any other option. Um, and so I just I thought I'd try it because I tried everything else already. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Um, so with you, Ben. Um, so you moved out of home. So what was it like moving out of you know a, an environment that was a bit unusual? You know, living with a a practicing drug addict. You know, um, effectively what your mum was doing. So what was it like living with other people? Uh, yeah, at, at the time I didn't know that mum was a drug addict either because I, I thought that uh, similarly with al- you know, alcohol, ad- yeah. addicts or people that <clears throat> were sort of falling asleep on the trams or alcoholics were sort of on park benches with a brown paper bag. But yeah. I, I knew I was getting away from something which I couldn't handle at home. Uh, yeah. But I was living with my – well, the first attempt was living in the in the school cubby house at, at, at 15, which didn't work out. And the next attempt was to stay at my friend's house for six months in year 12 and – I guess I felt I still felt like I didn't belong. Obviously, I had a friend that had four brothers, and um, yeah, I was trying to you know feel part of it, but I still felt really uh, lost, and I, yeah, I didn't feel part of, and was 
further removed and disconnected from school at that time. Okay. Um, so what was it like when you started work? Uh, yeah, work work was uh, all, all right. It was good. Um, I found myself in a, a job for an insurance company um, doing customer service um, and eventually moved into sales, which was ironic because of massive fear of rejection and abandonment mm-hmm. and people. Yeah. Um, but I'd actually, after deferring from uni, moved in with my dad, um, who, despite his um, shortcomings uh, with addiction, I still put on a pedestal because he was still working and I made the, the big mistake of uh, looking downwards at my mum because she'd stopped working and became a, sort of a mini version of him, um, functioning while working but partying on the weekends and trying to fix mum at the same time, which was insane for a 20-year-old trying to trying to fix and correct my mum who was, you know, lived twice as much life as I had. And that backfired. Obviously, you know, a terrible relationship with her led to, you know, uh, destroying myself on the weekends when I picked up a drink. That's how I felt like I was dealing with it well. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, and getting into trouble when you're travelling, so what what did you think with all that repeated trouble with the police? Did you did it trigger anything in you to go, there must be a common thread here, apart from you? <laughs> yeah, not... Not, I mean, I'd always say that I wasn't going to drink again. It was always alcohol-related. Uh, mm. Actually, not only got into trouble with the police in England in my first week overseas, but I ended up uh, breaking a, a a bone in my hand while running from the police um, and had to go to the Chelsea Westminster Hospital for every week for six weeks and had plenty of time to think about, you know, the cause of it and... And always it did stem from alcohol and would say that I wasn't going to do it again. Um, but I was drinking again before I'd even been let out of the hospital because I couldn't... I couldn't... Couldn't function without it. Yeah. 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 Yep. Okay. Um, so you said you got into AA and you didn't like it. So what didn't you like about AA to start with? The, the, the first thing I didn't like was that I had to give up. I had to stop drinking. <laughs> right. So that was the thing. That was after losing everything in my, well, what I thought was my friends, my uh, all, the th- all the material things that I had in the past um, from the job in insurance. Uh, I, I, I thought the alcohol or the drinking was the last thing that I had left. So I didn't respond well to AA at first because I didn't want to give up the drinking. Okay. So would you consider yourself depressed as well, as well as anxious? Oh, yeah, 100%. I was, I was um, diagnosed with severe depression from an early age that uh, I got help for in my early 20s. And, sorry, and, um, yeah, I, I saw a psychiatrist from, from an early age uh, about that. And, and I also identified, well, I told him when I was 21 or so that I thought I had a problem with alcohol. And he, from hearing what the limited stories that I told him at that point, just said, you don't have, a, I don't think you've got a drinking problem, you've got an all or nothing syndrome. And um, I still see and speak to him to this day and, and it, yeah. it took about 10 years for him to be pretty adamant that I was an alcoholic and wow. a, an addict and uh, that I needed to make AA my number one job. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, isn't it, in real terms? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So you you got involved with drugs as well as alcohol. So... Was it difficult to stop? Which one was it more difficult to stop? 
for you? Um, well, ne- neither of them really stopped. I would go through periods where I never stopped the dr- – well, I could go for periods of time without drinking. I was hiding from it. I was avoiding it because I couldn't control or moderate it. I couldn't manage it. I tried many different ways to, to you know, just drink beer or not um, – or just drink wine or – even on one occasion tried to drink light beer, which I thought was the most pointless exercise in my entire <laughs> life, and um, tried to not mix spirits, all those sorts of things. Tried to be the designated driver. Um, in the end, drugs helped manage or, or control the amount. Well, not so much to control the amount. I could just keep drinking as much as I wanted without disgracing myself when I took drugs, but I would still disgrace myself when I took drugs. I just did enough damage with the depression and the anxiety through that that I couldn't handle that anymore. So when I, um, I guess in, in the later 20s, when towards the last few years of the drinking, when I um, would primarily just drink and then black out, I still took drugs when they presented themselves to me. Uh, and eventually, eventually at the very end, the alcohol stopped working, so it was actually doing nothing, like not what it initially did. And, and I would still, yeah, seek and ask for, for drugs at that point, but... Uh, I went. I thought a period of no drugs was a couple of years, but I, I think they were still part of my life um, right up to the end of the drinking as well. Okay, thanks. Uh, Wilson, we might take another break. Uh, we've got a song called The Dreaming Sea by Tish Hinhosa from 2000. to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, I'm chatting with Max and Ben and we're talking about recovery from alcoholism through Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, so back to you, um, Max. We, we were talking about coming into rehab and finally deciding that you wanted to stop drinking. So how did it go from there? Uh, you know, it was a bit of a ropey, um, ropey timeline, to be honest. I mean, I think the fundamental thing that I didn't realise about alcoholism is that it actually has a remarkably little to do with alcohol. Uh, if that it probably doesn't make sense. Let me explain. Um, for me, the way I was taught it and the way most people actually I know in AA look at it now, not to speak for everyone, it's just my perspective, is that... The real problem is addiction, right? We are addicts first and foremost. And whether it's nature or nurture, from an early age, the addictive nature and disease in our brain is set. And that nature makes us more obsessive, more compulsive, more angry, more insecure, etc. And as a result, we look for a medicine to mitigate that. And so it doesn't matter really whether it's drugs, alcohol, shopping, sex any addiction, anything to make us fit in. And so for me, that was alcohol, right? But the problem is, when I took alcohol away, I wasn't sane suddenly, because I still had this mental illness of addiction. And so I needed to find some new medicine to medicate that. And that is where AA comes in. 
because for me it was a sort of it was a slow introduction into AA and a new way of living involving talking and analyzing my emotions as opposed to acting out on them uh, it also involved an inventory and amends and crucially service once I had gone through the steps in order to help other people the way that I'd been helped and I can't say that it was easy at all the first year was not after six months I was in a psychiatric hospital because I wasn't working the steps I was in AA but not working the steps the, dif the difference we say is between being dry and being sober right and um but but once i once i started going through the steps then things really started to emerge and get better and i i guess i want to reiterate one more time that uh obviously i'm a big a big fan of this program and a big fan of this process now but i wasn't always and for me whenever i see someone who's interested in or supporting something uh spiritual or some some program designed to sort of help you live your life i'm always suspicious but i want to sort of fundamentally state that i didn't want to do any of this stuff right like i wasn't 16 found this in a magazine and said oh yeah i want to do the steps like i did this as a last resort because i had no other option having gone through everything else already and and it worked which is why i'm a fan of it now right but don't get me wrong if there had been an easier option or a less drastic option i wouldn't have done it <laughs> you know like i'm an innately lazy person who likes to sit on my bed and eat pizza and smoke <laughs> cigarettes and watch tv you know that is where i'm happiest um and so to to actually do something as painstaking as this is only done out of life and death life or death necessity yeah you know? yeah okay thanks uh, well, across to you then, Ben. Um, you're laughing about that, but um, before you got back into AA, what what was the the downhill progression that got you to the point of having to stop drinking? Uh, the last, well, after the first meeting in 2011, um, to the to the point in which well, I gave up and stopped in 2013 in February. Um, in those two years, to trying to manage and control the drinking still by putting myself in two different homes where there were kids and animals and it progressing worse. And eventually I was, uh, you know, I, I couldn't have an after-work drink without stopping off at three different pubs on the way home and stopping off at the 24-hour bottle in Windsor and sitting on a park bench, which didn't make me an alcoholic because that's what I thought an alcoholic was with the, you know, bottle in the brown paper bag. Um, I'd simply couldn't control or moderate how much or stop when I wanted to and um, it got worse and worse trying to manage it the way that I thought I could manage it and a part of me was always trying to die when I drank or yeah. drugged like I wanted to kill something inside of me which I didn't know how um, or what but there was also another part of me that was I think soaking up enough life to not want to die and um yeah, I, 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 I got to the point where a part of me wanted help. I couldn't help myself yeah. anymore. So what, when you thought of going back to AA, what, what did you think would change? Or had you changed enough to think you needed it? I didn't really know. I just knew I couldn't keep going the way that I was going. I knew that all the wheels were about to fall off. I was either about to be homeless or lose my job. 
Um, and I didn't think it had to get that far for me to put my hand out for help. But even still, when I came back and was going to meetings, I was still hanging out the back and still wanting to bolt as soon as it finished until one one person just grabbed me literally on by the arm and saw the scars on my arm and said, oh, you're a chef. And, uh, you know, got talking un- uncomfortably as I did and then introduced me to a person that became my sponsor. Uh, my my expectation of AA were like sort of similar to Max's uh, perception that there were a room full of rejects of society, but my actual experience was the complete opposite. I, I was surprised. I found all these normal people, a lot of successful people. In fact, the very first person that reached out to me was someone who I'd seen on TV and in the newspapers, yeah. and I was blown away by, by how normal and, and healthy all of these people seemed to be. And I was very um, apprehensive about what their motives for wanting to help me was at the time. But now I realise that it you know, helps them in the process. It helps us helping other people. Yeah, giving back. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's very, very valuable. Um, so, Max, um, what's it like now compared to what life was like? So what are the differences now you're in AA? Oh, it's absolutely rubbish. Yeah, it's way worse. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um Look, it's so much better. Um, there are so many things that I could point to, uh, both material, emotional, spiritual. Um, emotionally, I think being able to sit with my feelings, you know, it might sound drastic or it might sound completely commonplace, depending on the nature of the listener. But for me, being able to experience an emotion and not act on it and not act out, is remarkable um spiritually having some feeling some kind of sense of belonging and fitting in with the world is amazing and then materially my life has gone through the roof you know i can now walk as a result i decided to travel around the world and so in the last seven years i've lived in barcelona edinburgh cambridge london guatemala uh about a month and a bit in costa rica and now i live in melbourne you know, um, I've done meetings in 20 different countries. I got, I decided to go to university, got a university degree. Um, I've, I've given talks in school, university colleges, psychiatric hospital. You know, I feel like I'm of use. But, but again, beyond that, and I don't want to... I think, for me, it's, I don't want to take it too seriously as well. Because yeah. like, I'm also... You know, I'm 27, and I've had a lot of fun, a lot of which I can't say on air. Um, but I, you know, I guess the most amazing thing is that alcohol and drugs have no power over me anymore, you know. Um, and it's easy, to, it might sound easy to say that, but it, I always say it has the same relationship as wood now. You know, it's just something that's there that I don't think about at all. Yeah. Um, I actually I work as I used to work as a tour guide, and I used to run a hidden speakeasy bar tour of Melbourne. Um, naturally, I wasn't drinking; I was just showing them these bars and stuff like that. But it was it was fine, you know. It was just a group of other twenty, thirty, forty-year-old somethings, and I was just their tour guide, you know. And in fact, if you met me, if I didn't tell you that I didn't drink, and you didn't notice it, you would have no idea because. No. I'd be going to clubs, I'd be going to music venues, I'd be going to bars, and it wouldn't make a difference. So for me, 
it's given me this, this great sense of integrity. It's given me my health. It's given me a future. And it's taken away nothing at all. I thought I'd be terrified. I was terrified that people would think I was really weird for not drinking. And it turns out people don't really care. Uh, as long as you don't stop their drinking. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Okay, thanks. Uh, so what about you, Ben? What's, what's different for you now? I've got a relationship with my parents, which I definitely wouldn't have if it weren't for the program and for AA. Uh, at the same time, I can't profess to getting stuck into the program from the get-go, and I'm a very willful person that has had to learn the hard way um, since giving up alcohol that when I'm still trying to run the show, um, things don't run too great, and... Uh, if I'm not plugged into the program and if I'm not working the steps, um, I can become very dishonest and, and selfish. Um, I can think of me and I can turn to other things. Uh, alcohol is not the problem. It's the symptom. My problem's with my thinking yeah. and, and living. And, um, yeah, I still have a lot of work to do in terms of um, being where I'd like to be as a person, but uh, you know, I, I am grateful that I have a relationship with my parents today, which I wouldn't have if I didn't have the program. Yeah, I'd still be in resentment towards them. <laughs> yep, resentments are a big one. Okay, well, so that's about all we've got time for today. Um, if you'd like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, then you can phone them on one three hundred triple two triple two, or go online at aa.org.au. Um, I'd like to thank Max and Ben for coming into 3CR studio today and sharing their Alcoholics Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you both. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, man. Um, I hope you're about to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from problem gambling and we'll be joined by Sherelle and Alan from Gamblers Anonymous. So uh, thanks again for listening to the Living Free program today.